All right, I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians. Uh, as you do that, let me say what a blessing to see you here this evening. It's always good to see you here, uh, but especially on a Sunday evening like this one right here, uh, to see your priorities and to see that you want to uh, participate in communion. Of course, this is a great way to celebrate the Lord's Day, very high act of worship that we get to participate in. And so uh, we are going to look at just a few verses in 1 Corinthians this, this evening. Uh, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and uh, start our way into the next section. Uh, I want to give you uh, some interpretive clues or ideas that I think will help you make more sense out of this, this bigger text, verses 6 through 16. And then uh, next week, uh, Sunday morning, uh, we'll take the time to actually go a little bit more in detail at verses 10 through 16, or the second half of our letter. This morning, if you were here, uh, we looked at the first five verses in chapter 2, and Paul said there that when he went to Corinth and planted the church, he did not come with eloquence or wisdom, but he came in demonstration, ultimate proof of the spirit and power so that, or in order that, the faith of the Corinthians might not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. And so uh, hopefully that was a good reminder to you in knowing how to pray uh, for our church, for our proclamation of the gospel, whether that's our own platform in life, or whether it's this pulpit right here, that our preachers, those who would speak here, would be more concerned to demonstrate the power of the Spirit than they would any of their own rhetorical gifts and so on. Well, as we made our way through verses 1 through 5, and really even the end part of chapter 1, we may have uh, been struck, or the Corinthians could have misunderstood Paul to think that he's totally against wisdom. You know, he's got a lot of harsh things to say about wisdom in the book, but that wouldn't really mesh well. If Paul has no place for wisdom. It doesn't mesh well with certain other things we see in the Bible. Like, for instance, in the Old Testament scriptures, there's an entire group of books that we call the wisdom literature. Okay? So how does Paul's anti-wisdom sort of philosophy mesh with the fact that there's a whole group of books that we're to study as a New Testament church uh, and grow from and, and learn from? It also wouldn't mesh well with the words of Jesus. Uh, in the Gospels, Jesus gives a parable, and it's actually a very important story that ends the Sermon on the Mount. If you remember how that, that sermon ends, he, he gives this story of a wise man and a foolish man. Now, we won't sing the song this evening, uh, but we all know that, right? And, and he's, Jesus is imploring people to build on the rock Build on the wise, or be wise and build on the rock. Build on Jesus as your foundation, not like a foolish man who builds his house on the stone, or I'm sorry, on the sand. Uh, so obviously, Paul can't be against all wisdom, right? Um, so in verse 6 of our text, he shows that he does not believe in an all-out rejection of wisdom. He even speaks wisdom. Now, he qualifies the type of wisdom that he gives as an apostle. He describes it as wisdom from God. 
hidden wisdom in mystery form. And then he tells us that there are only certain types of people that he gives his wisdom to. They are the mature ones. And so uh, what I'd like to do is look at this text and work our way through verses 6 through 9. But let me read the larger section for us. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 6. It says, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and a hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness or folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of of Christ. I think verses 6 through 16 set out as a contrast. In verse 6, you get this first word. It's translated by the ESV as yet. Some other translation, something like how be it. And what we see is in verses 6 through 9, Paul's got a lot to talk about or say about wise people in this world or people who are wise by earthly standards. And then in verse 10, he starts the second half of the contrast. Uh, now, the ESV translators, they haven't translated a conjunction that I wish they would have. Okay? In some uh, versions you'll have in verse 10, it starts out, but God. There's a major contrast here. And uh, the contrast is between verses 6 through 9, the wise of this world, versus those who are spiritually wise. Okay, and so next week we'll talk about the spiritually wise, but tonight, just in our 15 minutes or so, we'll talk and we'll, we'll learn more about Paul's description of those people who are wise in this world. And I think he's got two points to make. So I don't have notes this evening. If you're taking notes, you just jot down these two things, you got it all. Uh, the first description of the wise of this world that he gives here is they are not mature, verses 6 and 7. In my opinion, to understand this passage better, you really need to answer a few questions right at the beginning. Um, there are three of them that stick out to me. Um, who are the mature that uh, he talks about in the first line? He says, yet among the mature, 
who are the mature? Second question, the next word, who is or who are the we? And third one, what does impart mean? And men and women, if you can follow with our discussion of these three things, I think the rest of the text will just open up for you. I mean, so much so that you maybe wouldn't even have to come back next Sunday morning. I think the text will just be fairly clear. Now, I want you to come back, okay? Uh, But these three questions at the beginning are really important. First of all, the word mature. Who's Paul talking about? He says that he has a sort of wisdom that he can give, but he only gives it to mature people. And to be honest with you, there are two really good possibilities. I think that I've held both of these views uh, multiple times in my study of the scriptures. For a while there, it seemed like every year I'd teach on this, I'd go back and forth and flip and flop. And now for about the last maybe six or seven years, I've stuck with the right one. Okay. Uh, But now... Uh, Again, good people in here might disagree with me. Who are the mature? Uh, This might be in reference to all Christians, right? So Paul might be making a distinction between believers and lost people. Lost people are not mature or complete, whereas believers are. Okay, so some people think that the mature are all Christians, Other believers say, no, he's not referring to all Christians, but only to, and this is a second idea, some Christians. The ones who are more spiritually mature than others. Okay, And, and while you could go either way with this, in my opinion, it's perhaps better to say that the mature refers to all believers. All believers, the first view. So I think what Paul is saying is there is a certain level of wisdom that he can give to people, and he will give it to believers. It seems that in chapter 2, the only distinction that he's making, like down in verse 14 and 15, is there is a spiritual man. Who's the spiritual man? You can say it out loud. Believers. And, And then verse 15, who's the natural man? Unbelievers. So it seems in chapter 2 that he's only talking about differences between believers and unbelievers. Now, when you get to chapter 3, you'll see there's a problem, though, in Corinth. And that is that some of these supposedly mature people are acting like babies in Christ. And so Paul has to feed them with milk and not solid food because they're not able to stand it. So who are the mature? I think it's all Christians, but we can agree to disagree if you disagree there. Second question is, um, what or who is the we? So we're just looking at this first phrase. We might not get much farther than that this evening, but he says, yet among the mature, we impart wisdom. The word we here might be in reference to Paul and the Corinthians, but I think that it's better to see it as Paul and some of the other apostles who were preaching the scriptures. Okay, so who is the we? I think it's Paul and other apostles. As a matter of fact, any time you see we in this passage, for the most part, I think he's talking about himself and some of the other preachers, like Apollos, Peter, and so on. So you got these three questions, right? Who are the mature? I think it's all believers. Who is the we? It's Paul and the apostles. 
And then finally, what does the word impart mean? Look at the very first phrase of this passage again. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. And I find it very interesting here that the word for impart um, is not the word for writing. He's not describing himself and the other apostles as they wrote the scripture down. My opinion, chapter 2, he's not talking about the inspiration of Scripture, although God did give them wisdom and led them along in the process. But the word in part could be translated speak, and maybe in some of your Bibles it's translated that way. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 6, yet among the mature we do speak or impart wisdom. I think he's talking about the preaching and teaching ministry of the apostles who spoke God's revelation to the mature or to believers. And so in verses 6 and 7, Paul says that there is a wisdom that he has. It's a hidden wisdom. It's in mystery form. It's the word secret here. It's, It's something that... Some people just do not or cannot understand. Uh, In verses 6 and 7, I think he's basically describing those in the world as not, they're not of the mature. Okay, so if we're describing the wise of this world, they're not able to understand Paul and the apostles preaching and teaching. And so Paul doesn't even try to give them the wisdom that he has. And so um, I think what he's really getting at is that, and by the end of the text you'll see this, is that believers, those who have the Spirit, can understand the deep things of God. We have been given the Spirit of God. We are in the know. We can understand this hidden, mysterious form of wisdom that the apostles were preaching and teaching. Okay, but to move on, in verses 8 and 9, I think he describes the wise in this world in one other way. He says, they're not the mature. And then he says, the wise of this world are also not able. They are not able to understand the wisdom of God. Left to themselves, lost men and women cannot perceive the significance of the wisdom of God. And, and in our last five minutes here, what Paul does is he proves this two ways. In verse 8, he gives what I call historical proof. Look at your Bible in verse 8. It says, none of the rulers understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The historical proof that Paul gives that illustrates that wise human beings in the world, outside of Christ, aren't able to understand God's wisdom is uh, the rulers who crucified Jesus. Uh, Now, when you get to that that little phrase, the rulers of this age, uh, sometimes people say that they think that that refers to Satan and demons. And throughout the history of interpreting this passage, some believers have said that. And so they'll say something like, 
God completely outsmarted Satan at the cross. If he knew what was going on, Satan and demons would have had no part in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And while I think that that's true, I don't think maybe they understood the full significance of it. I think it's possible. I think that it's better to see that he's describing the Jewish or the Roman leaders who were judged by the world's standards as being wise. They're ruling over the people, and some of them had a part in the crucifixion of the Son of God. Paul says, you want me to prove that wise people outside of Christ that aren't believers don't get it? They don't understand God's wisdom? I'll point to the cross of Jesus Christ. Because those people who crucified him should never have done so. Um, there are several reasons why I think they're human rulers here. This word that's used is, is used often in the scriptures of the rulers who crucified Jesus. For instance, uh, Acts 13.27 says, For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, same word, because they know him not, Jesus, nor yet the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath day. These Jewish rulers don't even know their Bible. He says, final phrase, they have fulfilled the scriptures in condemning him. That passage in Acts, Luke says, the Jewish leaders who were in power at the time of Christ completely missed God's wisdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8, I think that's what he's, he's saying. He's saying, you know, let me just prove that the best in this world don't understand God's wisdom. I'll use the crucifixion as historic proof that the rulers of this age do not know or understand God's wisdom. And then in verse 9, he proves it scripturally. Scripturally. They're not able to understand God's wisdom left to themselves. Verse 9 says, but as it is written... What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. This is a loose quote from Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 4. And what Isaiah says is that humanity are not able to see, hear, or even understand in their heart what God has prepared for those who love him. Now, um, I don't know if you're like me, but, but I hear this phrase or this verse quoted often, whether it's the 1 Corinthians version or the Isaiah 64 version. Think about the way you've heard it quoted. I hath not seen, nor ear heard, nor has even entered in the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. How do we often hear those verses quoted? To describe the glories of what? Or where? Yeah, heaven. I want to I ask you, though, in both its Isaiah context and in 1 Corinthians, is Paul or Isaiah describing the fact that believers cannot understand what God has prepared for them in heaven? Is that really what this verse is doing? Because I've heard it preached this way. I've heard people say, you know what? We can't even begin to fathom how large our mansions will be in heaven. 
You know, like the gold streets, I mean, it's going to be like so pure. You're, you, can, you can't even begin to imagine the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Is this verse about that? In Isaiah, the verse is about humanity not understanding, even beginning to understand how God can save human beings. And in 1 Corinthians, this verse is not about believers not understanding something. This verse is about unbelievers missing out on something. And if you keep reading in verse 10, Paul says, but these things God has revealed to us, to those who love God. This verse is about the fact that unbelieving people cannot even begin to understand the wisdom of God left to themselves. Those who are even most gifted academically with, with intelligence in our world cannot in and of themselves, apart from the gift of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's revealing it to them, they cannot understand God's wisdom. And so Paul proves this in the most powerful way he can. He says, look, Scripture says it. Isaiah 64, lost humanity cannot understand God's wisdom. Do you like secrets? Uh, When I ask that question, usually people, if they're given a chance to reply, will say, well, it depends on what side of the secret I'm on. If I'm on the inside, sure, I like secrets. But if you're on the outside of the secret, it stinks, right? You don't like secrets. What Paul is saying in this passage is that believers are in the know. God has begun to reveal to believers his wisdom. But lost men and women just don't get it. They don't understand God's wisdom. This is why the world would probably not understand why you would be here on Super Bowl Sunday. You begin to explain to them, Jesus changed my life. You understand? He's like so much better than any sport. And they just scratch their head and they think we're strange and weird. They just don't understand God's wisdom. For as we read this morning, the God of this world has blinded them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. As we go to the Lord's table now, I would ask you to do two things. As we go to the Lord's table, first, might you just rejoice in the fact that God has revealed to you his wisdom found in the cross of Jesus Christ. We are dependent upon the the Holy Spirit revealing that to us and giving us the grace to accept it. Would you rejoice in that this evening? And as we partake in these elements that represent the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, might you also momentarily or temporarily remember that there are billions of people across this world that these elements would have no true significance for them. Even the brightest, even the most gifted, 
cannot understand God's wisdom unless the Spirit of God helps them.